In case you didn't know which podcast you are listening to, or this is your first time, this is Bereshit, which is Hebrew for in the beginning. And the subtitle is a commentary to the book of Genesis. Now, I am your commentator for this series, Michael Lawson, and this is the Michael Lawson Speaks podcast. And this is episode 14, where we begin chapter 4. So if you remember, we left off from the first of many animal sacrifices. But what makes this one so very special is that God himself chooses the animal and performs the sacrifice. But before we get into chapter 4... I want to walk through how we got here by reviewing a couple of the chapters we've covered to jog your memory just a bit. So let's go all the way back to the intro. And what I want you to remember about this series that we're going through is that I purposefully am trying to stay away from parts of scripture that haven't been revealed to us in the text we are reading unless it is absolutely necessary to understand the text and the context. This way, I don't confuse you by you having to ask yourself, how did he get all of that out of that portion of scripture? So, let's go back to chapter 1. Now, if you recall in chapter 1, there was a formless and desolate emptiness covered in darkness, and then suddenly there is order. Out of chaos comes order. God speaks. It's actually recorded as, in the beginning, God. And it goes on to say, created the heavens and the earth. Or, better yet, Bereshit bera Elohim Et Hashemayim va et Haaretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't get more powerful than that, but let's move on. We discover that there were six days of creation, followed by a hallowed day of rest. Now, I don't know if any of you have taken the time to do a little research into gematria yet, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there just to say that a cursory look into the subject is worthwhile, since it is used with significance throughout Scripture. The Torah, specifically, as well as what we call the Old Testament, or as also referred to as the Tanakh. Okay. Let's talk about time, since science wants us to believe that the Earth is some 8 billion or whatever, some other crazy number of years old. Old Earth, young Earth, what does the Bible say? Oh, that's right. The Bible doesn't say. Instead, it gives us markers that point us, I believe, in a young Earth, but to argue and divide over this issue as a believer is ridiculous. So I'm not going into that anymore. So here's what the Bible actually says. 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So apparently God didn't want this to be a central point of discussion, but to understand that he alone created everything in the beginning. And oh, by the way, all of his creation building, all of that creation building was for his crown jewel that he made out of the dust of the ground, the dirt, nothing. So remember that the next time you start to think so highly of yourself. But I digress. Back to creation in the most hallowed day of all, day seven, the Shabbat, the Sabbath day of rest, where we learn that God blessed the seventh day and separated it as holy. And what does that actually mean? In the plain text, it means just that. The seventh day is separated and holy. As Merriam-Webster defines holy, exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. So God stopped creating or working and rested that his creation itself could produce. This is a good place to pause and think about your life in this context. In the framework of God's creating, he rested one day and set it apart for us to find that rest in him. What are you doing with your life that you can't find just one day of rest to rest in God's presence? I mean, we just read that he literally gave us a day of rest. And if you say that you're too busy, then I would say, stop it. How dare you flat out lie? You've heard the saying, people make time for what's important to them. So let's move on. Still in chapter one, where we see... God is blessing his creation as he is creating on day five with the sea creatures and every living creature and winged birds, all according to their kind with the blessing, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth. But when it comes to producing living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals of the earth according to their kind, God saw that it was good, but there is no mention of a blessing to multiply and fill the earth. The sages write that this is because God knew that the serpent would soon be deceiving the woman and because of this be cursed. Therefore, by not blessing the livestock now, All livestock is saved from this curse that only the serpent would receive. This brings us to the crown jewel of creation, where we read in verse 26 of chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness of ourselves, and let them rule. I'll pause right there because we know that they are to rule over everything God had just created. Listen to this. God blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. 
So there is so much we could say here as it applies to yours and my life. But instead, I want you to just sit and ponder that for a moment. Chapter 2 gives us the account of events, especially the creation of humankind, man and woman. I mean, think about that for a moment. God creates everything out of nothing, establishing great order from chaos, and then takes his crown jewel and places them in this amazing garden with an option to freely choose him and trust him or choose their own way and We know how that turns out. I'm going to pause right here and save this recap and review for another time once we get further along. So for now, let's get into chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But just so you know what's going on right now, we have the man and woman getting expelled from the garden and God having to kill an innocent animal to clothe them from the shame of their sin that they now have because they have become aware. So, picking up in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4. Now the man had relations with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have obtained a male child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a cultivator of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock and from their fat portions And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his face was gloomy. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face gloomy? If you do well, will your face not be cheerful? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. And its desire is for you, but you must master it. All right, a lot there, so let's go. What immediately stands out is the distinct contrast between Cain and his brother Abel. First, we see that Cain was a cultivator of the ground. The ground that was just cursed by God because of Adam's willful disobedience sin. His brother Abel, on the other hand, was a keeper of flocks. Being a keeper of flocks may indicate that the animal may have been sheep or some kind of animal that needs a shepherd. Where did the idea of an offering come from? How did Cain and Abel know they should present an offering to God? Notice how Cain brought an offering, whereas Abel brought an offering from the firstborn of his flock. Firstborn has to do with that which is the most honored. But there's more. Abel also adds the fat portions 
of this firstborn animal. If you want to know how important this is to God, you'll have to read Exodus and Leviticus. So we can't go there. But notice how God had regard or acceptance for Abel's offering and not Cain's. This is easily explained by the immense contrast between the two. Abel gave God his absolute best and then some, while Cain simply gave God an offering from the ground he worked. Finally, notice that God tells Cain that sin wants him and is literally lurking, crouching, waiting for him at the door. This is an amazing picture of how a lion is ready and so close to pouncing on his unsuspecting prey. But there is good news because God also tells him that he must master, rule over, subdue it. There's hope. So there you have it. Until next time. Yevarechacha Adonai va'ishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai pana velecha vihuneka. Yisa Adonai pana velecha. Ve'asim lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Shalom. Thank you.